0: Hi, this is Miracle Lori from Joss Whedon's Dollhouse. Merry, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, all my friends out there. You're listening to my friends Scott and Miles on the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast.
1: Yes, this is episode 85. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And we welcome you back after a two week break here where we celebrated here in the U.S., Thanksgiving, and we got stuffed full of turkey. Turkey, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes. And everything else that's good and sinful at the same time. Right, stuff that puts you to sleep. It
2: definitely puts you to sleep. Did mm-hmm. you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. However, it was not a very relaxing one as I had to go into work later that evening. Right, right. And you had to deal with all the Black Friday freaks that were out shopping. Oh, my lands. Yes, they were. Um, uh, it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was crazy. I mean, a lot of people were getting some food and coffee before they uh, ventured out to the stores. And it was um, uh, it just, just surprises me. I mean, that's just, you know, the whole Black Friday thing
1: and it's not my scene, but um, it's obviously a lot of people's <laughs> scene, though. So, so you never did a Black Friday thing? No. Yeah, no. see, my brother got me into it about five years ago, and I've been corrupted ever since. We went out at midnight to Toys R Us because I wanted to pick up this Mario Kart racing game, not the video game, It's like an actual racetrack for uh, for Kiefer, my son, so if you know Kiefer, don't tell him I told you this. But uh, <laughs> but uh, we did that in Walmart, and wow, the lines were crazy. My brother went out for the Nintendo DSi, and he was at Walmart for that, and... It's so real cool stuff, you know. <clears throat> although I did not stop at sheets, and I'll tell you why I did not stop and get coffee and food. The well, last time I got coffee and I had to stand in the line for an hour, I had to pee about halfway through. There was just no way I was going to drink coffee. You probably made a better choice. I I did make a better choice. Mm-hmm. I know I know that definitely. But good times. It was a good experience. Always a good experience to do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, got some time to watch a little bit of sci-fi and do all that yes. sort of jazz. It was really cool stuff. So. Uh, we'll talk about that, I guess, a little bit more in our mm-hmm. feedback episode, uh, that we'll, uh, get to, uh, here after the show, but you'll hear before the show. So, well, uh, let's get into our show, Miles. We have a, this is a jam-packed show. Did you see the show notes? I stuffed way too you, much in there.
2: You did. This is, uh,
1: it's, uh, it's gonna feel like Thanksgiving. You're it, gonna be sleepy after hearing this. Hopefully not, but it, <laughs> it is a very full, uh, a very full menu tonight. That's what happens when you skip a week and you have to shove all the news in. A lot of catching up. Yeah, a lot of catching up. We're going to start off, though, with a listener question, and this is going to be the last chance for you guys to answer this, to call in to 1-888-508-4343 to our listener line and let us know what is on your Sci-Fi Christmas list. I know some of you have left your comments on Facebook. I'll probably repost that question again just to see if anyone else wants to list their thoughts on what's on their sci-fi christmas list but next week we plan on discussing our sci-fi christmas lists and that'll be the episode with dayton ward kevin Dillmore, and frage at least that's the plan we'll see if anyone bails on us but that's at least the intent and so that's our listener question what is on your sci-fi christmas list you can also email that to us at the sci-fi Niner podcast at gmail.com I, I should say i got my i got a think geek uh, catalog
2: in the mail uh, recently, so uh, I saw some pretty cool stuff in there. So you're gonna you're gonna be pimping. You know, Fr- Fridge is gonna have you as his pimp, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, uh, he he hooked, he hooked us up with that awesome uh, Star Trek uh, Enterprise uh, pizza cutter.
1: Yeah, yeah. He hooked you up with that. He oh, hook, really? He didn't hook me. I'm still bitter about that, phrase Fridge. Um, Fridge, if you're listening, I'm bitter. I'm bitter, just a little bit. Um, Anyways, we also have an update to the website. I know we mentioned this in the last podcast, and this will probably be the last time I mention it, but it's a great place to go and get the show notes, and there will be video clips that we'll be talking about tonight that will be embedded there. Also, we had some Thanksgiving wishes and recently a discussion on Next Generation versus Voyager. I don't know if you saw that post that I I saw it I did. Mm-hmm. Um, just my perspective as being a newbie and being forced into Voyager a little bit earlier than I was planning on it mm-hmm. and uh, my thoughts on it. And, uh, yeah, some good stuff, some good stuff. So, and some good response to that. So I think that's it. Anything else before we get into the menu tonight? No, let's, uh, let's, let's keep let's going. Let's menuize. Mm-hmm. That's even a word. Uh, so on our menu tonight, we have our interview with Larry Blamir, who is best known for spoof on 1950 sci-fi films. So it was very cool. I had a good interview with him. Miles was not a part of that because we interviewed him at like, your – bedtime. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's four o'clock in the afternoon. And you're sleeping. I'm then. still sleeping at four o'clock <laughs> yeah, in the afternoon. Yeah. We're going to announce the winners of or the winner of our Superman trivia. And we're going to give this going to be a new Star Wars trivia in honor of <coughs> Irvin Kirshner, who died this week. He was the director of The Empire Strikes Back. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. We're going to talk about young justice Reese. Is coming to Canada. Radu, you're going to be happy about that. Oh, yeah. So he's going to be there. Um, we're going to talk about Friday and Fringe and um, Mark Singer returning to V, which is kind of cool. One of the original V people. Mm-hmm. Um, as we mentioned, Irving Kirshner is dead. He directed the Empire Strikes Back. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're gonna talk about why the Hobbit is racist. Catwoman joins the Wachowski latest film. That's Halberry, by the way. Uh, Buffy's being rebooted, and Josh Whedon, Josh Whedon responds. Cowboys vs. Aliens trailer, and we're gonna talk about the source code trailer. These are up and coming movies, I think, next year. And then, uh, we'll talk about Christian Bale, Bales on Batman. And, and, uh, public service announcement about talking to your kids about Star Wars. Miles is going to give us a twist where he talks about an interview with the Borg Queen and Walter Walter Koenig. Koenig. I always want to say Koenig. Koenig. It's it's spelled that way, but it's just not pronounced that way. Koenig. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll totally mispronounce it when we talk about it again, but that's all right. In our Sci-Fi 5 and 5, we're going to give you the five best Empire Strikes Back moments in honor of Irvin Kirshner. Hmm. So that's a a menu, man. That's a a lot to – Serve out. Yeah, a lot to digest. So hopefully it won't leave you you too too over stuff. Miles, why don't you take us into the trivia? All right. Last
2: time we had asked, um, and this is a two-part question, uh, what does uh, actor Michael Ironside and Superman have in common? And the answer? And we can give it this time. Yes, we can. Um, He played recently Lois Lane's dad in Smallville. However, if you were familiar with the animated Superman series, he provided the voice for the
1: character Darkseid. Yes. And uh, the Code Warrior, course, was turkey, as we gave in our last episode. And the prize was what? They are going to win an autographed picture of Kevin
2: Sorbo that we had, uh, we had got at the last uh, uh, Shore Leave convention. And it was the
1: Andromeda print? Is that right? Uh, yes, it is. The Andromeda print. Mm-hmm. And the winner was? And the winner was? Jason. The winner was Jason. Yeah, very cool. So, congrats, Jason. We'll be mailing that to you. I'll contact you via email as well, let you know you won, and we'll be sending that out. Uh, that's a nice little prize. And, um, wow, we have a good prize coming up this week. Yes, uh, for, um,
2: <laughs> if you want to get something for yourself or, uh, maybe you still have time for the holidays, um,
1: the next prize is a $100 Think Geek gift card. This is our second one they're giving away, Miles. Oh, my. Yep, so this is awesome. And what is the trivia question that they have to answer?
2: Well, we want to kind of focus on the Empire Strikes Back uh, with the passing of its director uh, in, in honor of him. So we are going to – this is the question for this time. Uh, what was the substance that Han Solo was frozen in? Yep. And
1: the code word, if you're listening to this podcast, is? Dagobah. Dagobah. So you all say it like that if you call in Dagobah.
2: Yeah, you have to do, do your uh, – your Yoda impression.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you have to do it, yeah. The you, Yoda voice. No, yeah, voice, you don't. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so if you want to email in, make sure you include the code word as well as the answer to this question for your chance to win a $100 ThinkGeek gift certificate. And uh, it's going to be awesome. And you have, we're only giving you one week in this one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Only with, one week. Right. With the holidays coming up. So one week, and that is next week you mm-hmm. have for this prize. So uh, by the time this airs, you'll probably have about, four or five days to answer this question. It'll, be quick. It'll so, be quick. So we need to get on it. Yeah, we'll need to get on it. We'll put it on Facebook and everything else. Maybe at Twitter a little bit earlier than that. But yes, that's awesome. So again, until December 7th, make sure you include the code word mentioned in the first 15 minutes of this podcast. Well, Miles, let's move into our first promo tonight and we're going to do a promo, uh, from some place we get a lot of our news and we listen to their podcast. And this is called the Slice of Sci-Fi podcast. And they put out some, they have some excellent interviews many times and have some good dialogue about sci-fi and what's going on in the sci-fi yeah,
2: world. They're a very quality podcast. I, yeah. I've enjoyed listening to it they
1: have, them. They have to be one of the best, they have to be one of the better produced, uh, mm-hmm. sci-fi podcasts out there. So check them out. There's a Slice of Sci-Fi podcast.
0: Is the long drive to work getting you down? Do you feel like the other drivers want to run you off the road and beat you with the tire iron of life? Relax. Take a break. And let the fun of sci-fi news geeking ease your drive-time woes. Slice of Sci-Fi. It's not as good as having a stormtrooper on your hood. But it's close. SliceofSciFi.com
1: Welcome back to the podcast. We have tons of news, a little bit of TV news, a ton of movie news, no DVD news, and a little bit of other news, but it's going to be very cool. And I think to start us off, Miles, you have some TV news you wanted to share with us. Sure. Um, just recently, I saw the pilot episode for
2: uh, Young Justice. Uh, may- maybe some of you listeners are familiar with the comic book series, but now it's now uh, now it's now it's on the small screen, and it's put up at a cartoon uh, network. Um so being a teenager means proving yourself over and over to peers, parents, teachers, mentors, and just about everybody else. Uh, some of the superheroes uh, featured are uh, Robin, Kid Flash, Aqualad, and Superboy, uh, the clone of Superman. And on this pilot episode, uh, a couple of the voice talents that were provided uh, were uh, Bruce Greenwood, who many of you know as uh, Captain Pike from the last Star Trek movie, and uh, Rene Auberjonois, who um, he has done tons of stuff, but uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine fans will know him uh, from Odo. And so that will be coming out um, in the month of January. It will start running
1: regularly. How do you say his last name again? Uh, Auberjonois. Wow, I couldn't do that. I'm glad uh, you have that name. You probably I, practiced I, I, I that. I had to practice it well. yeah. <laughs> you had to practice yeah. that. You know, this is kind of awesome, though. And, you know, I'm glad that we we talked about this story a while ago because you mentioned that this was, this was coming. And so it's good to see that it's finally there. Right. And um, I
2: saw it. that uh, they had the, the pilot episode out recently, and uh, it, it was really good. I mean, it was... Um, it is kind of kid-friendly, but at the same time, it's not too dumbed down that I think an adult who uh, likes the whole superhero genre can still enjoy it. You know, I'm glad to see they put Robin in there. Robin just doesn't get props. I think it's because of the movies. The Yeah, the movies and um, I guess in some of the comics uh, – well, I remember back in – back in, was it the late 80s or something like that um, – they actually killed off one of the Robin characters and it was because
1: the the, the uh readers uh, voted for, for him to be killed. So uh wow. Um so his story well, it's good to see him back and um yeah. You know, we'll see how it does. But the, you know, this was actually
2: pretty good. I uh, viewer listeners, I, I encourage you to uh, check it out. You might be able to find the, the pilot um, online, some place to watch. And it's on the Cartoon Network. On the Cartoon Network, so I could actually
1: TV this, and my son, and I could watch it. Sure, it's a mm-hmm. uh, very kid friendly from that. End. Yeah, it is very cool. Well, Reese, this is some news about Reese. And the hunt begins in 2011 on spacecast.com. So for those of you Canadians out there, Redu, we're talking to you, um, and many other people that uh, listen to the show that are Canadian fans, you are going to get to see Reese. A lot of people have been clamoring. We've been talking about when is this going to come overseas? Remember us asking, mm-hmm. you know, the Reese guys that question? And it has only been available online in the U.S. until now. Space announced, uh, which is kind of the counterpart to the sci-fi channel in Canada, uh, announced that The Hunt is set to begin in Canada in early 2011, premiering exclusively on SpaceCast.com. So be on the lookout for that. That is Reese, of course, that I did. you watch the entire Reese series then, or you didn't get through it? I haven't gone through the whole thing. I've gone through most of it. That's awesome. They leave you with such a cliffhanger. Okay, good. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's a really good episode. I loved it. So mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. If you've been watching Reese, let us know what you thought of Reese. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good steampunk episode, and they leave you kind of in the middle of – I'm not going to tell you, Miles. Okay. I it <laughs> for you. But um, why don't you go ahead and uh, take this next piece? Well, uh,
2: I read this with some caution. Uh, breaking news uh, – we have talked about this before, but uh, Fox is moving fringe to Fridays, and, and fans fear the worst. In late-breaking uh, Friday night news, Fox announced it's moving fringe to Friday nights at 9 p.m. beginning January 28th. Yes, that's the infamous Friday Death Night slot, uh, where many uh, good shows have gone to die, at least on the big TV networks. The immediate reaction from fans can be summed up by uh, televisionary uh, writer and TV aficionado uh, uh, Jace uh, Lacob who instantly uh, tweeted, Well, Fringe, it was great knowing you. It may not uh, be as dire at all, since uh, Fox had recently said very positive things about keeping the show going. On the other hand, ratings have declined recently, and fewer than 5 million people watched the recent episode, which is not an optimistic sign.
1: Yeah, it, it's hard to know. Um, at least they're moving it out of the Thursday slot where it had so much stiff competition. Sure. And I don't see Smallville, I don't see Supernatural as being our, even the Vampire Diaries Friday night too? That might be also Friday night, I could mm-hmm. be wrong about that. But I don't see these as being huge competitors to Fringe.
2: I, I, I do not either. And uh with Smallville only having, you know, as to finish up its you know the last of its season, right? Uh, that'll at least you know be one less thing for it to compete with.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I is this a bad thing? X Files initially I think was on a Friday night. They moved it to Sunday night. None of those are good slots. And X Files ran nine seasons. That was a mm-hmm. Fox show. So is it a death slot? I think traditionally it is. We talk about it being a death slot. But
2: right. I mean, I, ter- I remember uh, Terminator: Sierra Chronicles. Chronicles was on there and. Yeah, and Dollhouse hell started on Friday nights. Did it start Friday nights? I don't really know it? if it started Friday nights okay. or not, but
1: it, it ended up on Friday nights. Right. I don't think it started there, but ended up there. And mm-hmm. I don't know, but um, I well, we'll talk a little bit about some of our response and the Facebook and everything else mm-hmm. uh, in our listener episode, but I'm not sure this is such a big deal, um, but yeah, I think it's on Thursday nights until then, though. Well, for, for me, I, I mean, I, I DVR it, so it's... Um, it doesn't matter when it's on. It doesn't matter, really. Yeah. And, it matters for me because i got to come up with a fringe quote of the week for Wayne and down. Mm-hmm. love you guys Wayne and Dan, but down. Uh, well, this is something that
2: interests me. Um, in, in V News, original Freedom of Fire marketing returns V for a second season. And a few months ago, V made a major casting cue when it added the original Bad Lizard Girl, Jane Diana Battler, to the cast of the new V reboot. Now they've done it again by bringing Mark Singer on board ABC's Sterling sci-fi series. Singer, now 62, plays a a cameraman-turned-freedom fighter Mike Mike Donovan in the original 80s sci-fi series was just announced as having joined the cast of the sci-fi show. Uh, The former Beastmaster actor is set to play a new character by the name of Lars Tremont. Here's what TV guide William Keck says the character. Lars is a member of a super uh, top-secret organization comprised of high-ranking military and government leaders from around the globe who have long suspected that the visitors, despite what they tell us, are very much not here in peace. While Jane Battler will appear as early as January 4th premiere episode, viewers will have to wait until the 10th and final episode of the second season in order to see a a singer. A long and painful wait, especially since the show's status as a third season is unclear. To make it worse, the two of them won't get to face off at all during the 10th episode. However, if there is a third season, we sure hope that they'll get their their confidence Confrontation, because nothing else, will almost, would make us happier. And if the third season does occur, we hope that would allow for most uh, former original cast members to pop up on the show as well. So, ABC, please bring back uh, Faye Grant, Michael Ironside, uh, June Chadwick, or the other lizard, bad girl Lydia, who, who, and especially Robert England, whose character really was a fan favorite during the original series run. Are you happy to see Mark Singer on board? Well, would you like to see more of the original V cast return for season three? Let us know.
1: Yeah, let us know about that. Are you, so you're excited about this? I am. Um, he, I thought he he he, he
2: uh, had a great character on the original V series. He was the main protagonist, good guy on the show. And uh, um, it's too bad V is struggling. But I I gotta give props to ABC for at least trying to make this show work and keep it going. It's not uh, they're not being like Fox, who's like, "Oh, uh, ratings are down. Let's pull the plug." So uh, at least ABC is, you know. He's trying.
1: Yeah, at least not yet, at least. You know, we, uh, it sounds like there'll be at least 10 more episodes of it, and, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll get to see a little bit more V starting in January. So that's exciting.
2: It that is exciting.
1: Uh, in in movie news, we have, uh, of course, the big news this past week for Star Wars fan. Irvin Kirstner, director of The Empire Strike Back, is dead at 87. And so, uh, Empire Strikes Back remains, of course, one of my favorite of the Star of the Star Wars movies, right? Right. Uh, he is he is is just it's probably one of the best. When I think of my favorite Star Wars movie, I've watched Empire numerous times, even though it's a middle movie mm-hmm. and it's considered the sophomore slump many times. But I like the Empire Strikes Back.
2: It's funny for me; it didn't start out as one of my favorites, but I think as I have gotten older, I think I, I appreciate Empire Strikes Back a lot more, and uh, and probably think it's probably the best out of all them. Yeah. I think it what what it did it just had a lot more dramatic um you know tense moments and just put our heroes in a uh, you know in bad bad dark places and seeing them trying to get out so um so yeah I think it was probably one of the best uh, films in the whole series if not the best
1: yeah, it's, it's it's one of my favorites, by the way. And we're going to talk about some of our favorite moments in the Sci-Fi 5 and 5, mm-hmm. but here's what the article says. Irving Kershner, the Journeyman filmmaker who was handpicked by George Lucas to direct the first Star Wars sequel, has passed away following a long illness. For a man whose career dated back to the mid-50s, it must have been odd for Kershner to be known for just one film. But when that film is Star Wars Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back, it's probably not so bad. With films like sh- like the Sean Connery Romantic Economy of Fine Madness and Richard Harris' The Return of a Man Called Horse. Under his belt, the one time still photographer signed on to Empire with a very real sense of responsibility as he told Vanity Fair last month, I wanted very much for the film to succeed because I knew that George was spending his own money on it. I think the critics felt that they were going to see an extension of Star Wars. In other words, they wanted another Star Wars. I decided that the potential was much greater than a rerun of Star Wars. When I finally accepted the assignment, I knew that it was going to be a dark film, with more depth to the characters in the first film. It took a few years for the critics to catch up with the film and see it as a fairy tale rather than a comic book. And the, and dark it was. In a very real way, The Empire Strikes Back was a film that introduced the entire generation of children to the concept of tragedy the same kids for whom star wars was an indoctrination into the power of cinema and the wonder of science fiction would learn that sometimes stories don't end well for the hero that the bad guy if he's got his mojo working can steal the day and the hero's hand in the process that occasionally is the only thing you can do is to stare off into the stars and hope that tomorrow will be better than today Empire didn't really open the doors to uh, Kirshner's career in the way it should have given that it made $200 million in its initial 1980 release. He would work with Connery again on the bondish outing Never Say Never Again and direct the poorly received RoboCop 2. His last credit was an episode of Sequest 2032 in 1993. But given that Kirshner played a crucial role in delivering the best installment and the most loved saga of all time his legacy will endure. And uh, as we said, it is probably one of my favorite.
2: Yeah, I, I th- it, it, it's definitely. I mean, and he's right. I don't think it was as well received when it first came out, but then, for whatever reason, there's a delayed reaction to people just getting it. And, yeah. I, and, and and for me as well, I didn't. You know, I liked it, but now as a kid, but now I like it even more. You need the tragedy.
1: You need you need all three movies to work together. You need right. the idealism of the first movie, mm-hmm. and then you need the tragedy in the second, and you need the redemption in the third, and they all just work so beautifully together. And Probably my favorite is the middle one, but I, you know, you can't really take it apart and make it stand by itself either.
2: No, it's, you have to see it as a whole with the other, other two.
1: Yeah. Anyways, Empire Strikes Back. I love it. Love it. Let us know what you thought of the Empire Strikes Back. We would love to hear your thoughts on that. Go ahead, Miles. Latest Hobbit Troubles.
2: Actress causes production. Accusing. I'm sorry. (laughs) Latest Hobbit Troubles. Actress accuses production of racism. After sur- surviving rights issues, studio financial turmoil, a change of directors, and a union battle, Peter Jackson's upcoming production of The Hobbit has now been accused of racism. According to ABC, that's uh, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, uh, news, a woman of uh, Pakistani descent named uh, Naz Humphreys claimed she, she tried out to play a role in The Hobbit, f- play in the Hobbit film and was uh, rejected at, at a casting call in Hamilton, New Zealand because her skin tone was too dark. Humphreys told the, the uh Ocado Times. It's 2010. I still can't believe I'm getting discriminated against because I have brown skin. The casting manager basically said they weren't having anybody who wasn't pale-skinned. Video footage taken at the audition reportedly shows the casting manager telling people that the production was looking for white-skinned people because you've got to look like a hobbit. Humphreys was excited to audition for a bit part because she matched the height requirements to play one of the little denizens of the Shire. But she said it's just seemed like a shame because obviously hobbits are not brown or black or any other color. They all look kind of uh, homogenized beige and all, all derived from Caucasian gene pool. She has now started a Facebook group with the message, Say No to Hobbit Racism, a spokesperson person for the production told the uh, Wakado Times that Jackson was unaware of the controversy and called it an unfortunate error, adding, It's not something that the producers or the director of The Hobbit were aware of. They would never issue instruction of this kind of casting cast and crew. All people, meaning the age and height requirements, are welcome to audition. The Hobbit is, is scheduled to begin filming in 3D under Jackson's direction this coming February in New Zealand, with a two-part epic slated to come out in December uh, 2012 and 2013. So it sounds
1: like that she was not allowed to audition. Is that correct? That's what it sounds like. It's because... It would be different if she would have auditioned and mm-hmm. not gotten in. She mm-hmm. didn't even get a chance to audition. Right. And I think that's a problem. <sighs> problem, but, but it's a hard one. With, I mean, this is... This is, uh... this is it, it is. I mean, we, you work in theater, Miles. Sure. I mean, And people it, get cast based on their look all the time. Absolutely.
2: I mean, it, it, it's not, you know... I have a hard time with this. I think this is a racist, motivated thing. Um, I mean, when you go to audition for a part, I mean, you you have to fit the physical... The, 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 the director, producer, have what they have in mind, what with, what they want the person to look like in their production, whatever it be, film or stage. And um, those are very subjective, And but that's what they want. And to, you know, if, if they want caucasian looking hobbits that's you know um that they have a right to say that, that, that if that's what they you know set out to that they have a right to do that that's just you know this is this is um the, the film business
1: it's and I, mean, I guess if you want to remain true to what J. R. tolkien was doing i mean he's writing from people from you know basically the english countryside and he's using mm-hmm. these as inspirations for them and so you know you think about most of the people of england are and uh Uh, At least uh, in in Tolkien's world, and they were mostly Caucasians. Not, it wasn't an ethnic thing necessarily, but it just is. And I mean, if you want it to be, you know, in line with the 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 Lord of the Rings movies, you must have to Uh, start. If you start making an an interracial film, it becomes something else.
2: Right. I mean, I think probably. I mean, you've read the books. I have not, but I would just assume that, you know, uh, when Tolkien was writing this, he had in mind that his characters were. Caucasian
1: looking, yeah, and this doesn't mean he was racist. It's just the way he wrote the story, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, whatever. And uh, you know, I, I, is it an issue of race? I don't know. But maybe they didn't approach it the best. Maybe they weren't the di- most diplomatic in the way they voiced this. I'm not sure this is really an issue uh, for right. me. For me, for me, it's not an issue. I mean, if, if I want a certain looking person in my film, then that means that there are going to be people that don't match that that may want to be in the film that can't.
2: Right and that's just you know that's just nature of the business I mean right. uh, I mean that's why people go to or actors do numerous auditions because they are usually get turned down more often than they get offered roles it's just it's just one of those things. But to cry racism, I, I think, is a bit of a stretch.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Let us know what you think, if you agree with us or disagree with us. But that's uh, kind of our thoughts on the whole the whole thing there. Mm-hmm. We're going to get tons of hate mail for that, probably. <laughs> uh, Hal Berry joins Natalie Portman in the Wachowski's latest epic. That's Catwoman. The reclusive filmmakers behind The Matrix and Speed Racer are stocking their latest science fiction project with the Oscar-caliber cast, including, get this, Tom Hanks, Natalie Portman, and Hal Berry. Based on David Mitchell's 2004 book, which tells six interwoven stories spanning a thousand years, touching on New Zealand in the 1800s, Belgium in the 30s, California 70s, London in the present, Korea in the near future, and Hawaii in the distance post-apocalyptic tomorrow, Cloud Atlas seems to have overtaken the controversial Gulf War set gay romance Cobalt Neural 9 on the Wachowski's to-do list. I guess we were planning to do that one initially. Mm-hmm. In an interview conducted after screening our latest film, Frankie and Alice, Halberry lets let slip that she's set to start shooting Cloud Atlas this coming summer. Sounds like an ambitious undertaking, but if you can find faults with any of the Wachowski's films, lack of ambition isn't one of them. And actually, we'll embed the video clip of that interview in our show notes. But uh, Cloud Atlas, interesting premise spanning 1,000 years. Yeah, that is uh wonder how they're going to tie that all together. Hmm. I, I need to know more of the story. Yeah. There's, nothing, to, are, there's nothing here. They didn't, they didn't give us a whole lot. They no. gave us locations. That's it. And time mm-hmm. periods. That's about it. And Tom Hanks being involved. And that's kind of interesting. Well, I mean, you get a big name like that. It's going to. Well, and Natalie Portman's, of course, no stranger to the Lukowski brothers. You know, in V, she was a pretty big instrumental Oh, woman, yeah, that's so, right. That's right. What I mean, so she's obviously worked with them. Mm-hmm. Maybe Hal Barry's and Tom Hanks were the first time. But. Mm-hmm. Brings in our next piece of news, Miles.
2: Well, it's really happening. Warner Brothers reboots Buffy the Vampire Slayer without Joss Whedon. Dun, dun, dun. Go Go ahead. The, ru- the rumors of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie without any input from Joss Whedon are true. A press release says uh, writer Wit Anderson has an exciting new take on the Buffy character. Be very scared. Here's the official press release. Um, uh, Atlas Entertainment announced today is rebooting the beloved franchise Buffy the Vampire Slayer with Warner Brothers Pictures. Uh, Atlas, uh, uh, Charles Roven, and Steve Alexander will produce the feature film alongside Doug Davison and Roy Lee of Vertigo Entertainment. Um, he he had, had to do with uh, The Ring, How to Train Your Dragon, The Departed. Uh, Witt Anderson is writing the script. Warner Brothers Pictures uh, optioned the rights from creators uh, Fran and Kaz. Uh, Kuzai from uh, Sand Dollar Productions um, for Atlas and Vertigo to produce Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, which first appeared in a, in a film in 92, subsequently becoming a cult hit and spawning the wildly popular television series starring Sarah Michelle Gellar and, and David Borneas, among many others. Uh, Witt uh, approached us with an exciting idea how to update Buffy, said Robin. There is an active fan base eagerly uh, awaiting this character's return on the big screen. We're thrilled to team up with uh, Doug and Roy on a reimagining of Buffy and the world she inhabits. Details of the film are being kept under wraps, but I could say, while this is not your high school Buffy, she'll be just as witty, tough, and sexy as we all remember her to be. Not your high school Buffy, huh? We have no idea what this could mean. Uh, soccer mom Buffy? Space cadet Buffy? College dropout Buffy? Oh, no, wait, we had that once already. We're not sure what to think. In an interview with the L.A. Times, Anderson uh, listed uh, Chris Nolan's Batman as a supreme example of how a familiar character and revered mythology can be brought to the big screen with a vital new vision. That is true, but wasn't Whedon's Buffy already uh, pretty uh, darn dark, gritty, and uh, heartwarming and realistic while fighting vampires? Call us highly skeptical, but this uh, reboot might be a little too soon for our tastes. But then again the script isn't done and there still isn't a director attached so things could change dramatically overnight. The producer Charles Riven, also told the Times that he hopes to see the film uh, reach theaters in, in 2012 or per, or perhaps even 2011. So it does like Anderson has a lot of breathing room for uh rewrites.
1: Yeah, this is this is interesting. Uh Buffy a Buffy reboot? I don't know. And and minus Joss? Yeah, I
2: I uh I I really wasn't, I didn't really follow the whole Buffy genre, so I, um, but I'm always cautious of reboots, I
0: guess.
1: You know, but some reboots come off sounding real good. I mean, they mentioned the whole Batman reboot that they did, and uh, there's been other reboots that I've kind of liked and I've enjoyed. I mean, Star Trek's essentially a reboot. Sure. And uh, we've all enjoyed that film, and so there's nothing to say that it can't. It can't. You get the right cast, get the right writer, and there's nothing to say that it can't. It just,
2: it just seems like it wasn't that long ago when Buffy was still on TV. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't, I
1: don't, I don't know how long it's been. About yeah, movie. but then you get the Hawk, and it wasn't that long ago when we had the last Hawk movie, and then a new Hawk movie comes out that kind of trumps the first one.
2: Well, they were trying to basically TV. redeem themselves. Right, so. right, and they
1: did. And maybe they're trying to redeem themselves here. I mean, the first Buffy movie did not get – people did not really like that movie.
2: Yeah, it, it didn't. So I, I was actually surprised when they was going to a Buffy TV series, but
1: that – Obviously did real well. Did, did extremely well. Right. You know – I'm kind of ambivalent in in this. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't necessarily bother me that they're doing it. I wonder if it's also with the whole popularity of the whole vampire genre. I was going to mention that. Is this on the heels of Twilight? Is this on the heels of, of, uh, what's the other one that's out there? A Vampire Diaries, New Blood, and, and, uh, you know, all those movies that are out there. Underworld, uh, we have an Underworld 4 that's going to be coming soon. And, you know, these are, are these things that, they're just trying to capitalize. Is this a ripe time for Buffy the Reboot? That could be. It might be. It might mm-hmm. be. Uh, <clears throat> Mary wasn't real excited about it. She said, too soon. No joss means no televix support." So <laughs> She was uh, pretty adamant against <laughs> the, the old idea idea of a reboot. Mm-hmm. Joss actually gave a hilarious reaction to the Buffy reboot announcement. So she, he, this is actually his response to it. You've certainly been vocal about letting us know what you thought of the news, because a lot of people kind of were up in arms about what Warner Brothers is trying to do, without Joss Whedon. But what did Whedon think about it? We sure didn't have to wait long to find out. Kristen Do Santos of E! Online nudged the man behind Buffy, who replied that the movie was a sad, sad reflection of our times, when people must feed off the carcasses of beloved stories from their youth just because they can't think of an original idea of their own, like I did with my Avengers idea that I made up myself. (laughs) (laughs) So he's obviously being a little bit tongue-in-cheek there. Sure. But we didn't continue. I always hoped that Buffy would live on after my death. But, you know... After, I don't love the idea of my creation being in other hands, but I'm also well aware that there are many, many more hands in mine that went into making the show what it was. And there's no legal grounds for doing anything other than a sighing audibly. I can't wish people who are passionate about my little myth ill. I can, however, take this time to announce that I'm making a Batman movie because there's a franchise that truly needs updating. So look for The Dark Knight Rises way earlier than that other one and also more cheaply than in Toronto, rebooting in the theater near you. And he said, "Thanks for being classy about it, John. So, so he's kind of fun. He's kind of fun. He's not thrilled about it,
2: right? And uh, I guess we just got to wait and see. It just—I uh, I, don't—I agree with
1: Mary. It just it seems like a little too soon. But, but hey, I've been surprised by reboots. I'm not opposed to reboots.
2: Yeah, I, I can't be too opposed because some of them have actually,
1: actually been pretty good. Yeah. So let's talk about this trailer that we watched a little beforehand called "Cowboys and Aliens." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wasn't know what to expect,
2: but it looks very impressive. It looks like they've uh, Hollywood's going to spare no expense. Um, Some
1: big name actors here.
2: Yes, uh, you, uh, uh, Harrison Ford, Sam Rockwell, Daniel uh, Craig, Daniel Craig who played James Bond in oh, the last yeah. two movies, Bond.
1: and so um, and uh, Olivia Wilde and and uh, John Favreau. Who's attached to the, what has he done? Was he the Transformer guy? He doesn't need That was Michael Bay. Michael oh, Bay. Oh, he one. did Hellboy. Uh, no, he did another superhero movie. Iron Man. Is he the Iron Man guy? He is. Yes. He's the Iron Man guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So John Favreau, the Iron Man guy. See, so mm-hmm. I, I knew we would get it <laughs> one, one of these <laughs> times, but we watched this trailer, pretty cool looking trailer. Yeah, I, something I want to see. I mean, it looks like yeah. it's going to be a summer blockbuster for, for Nick. Yeah, or. I think it's going to be a fun movie. May mm-hmm. not may not be the best uh, dialogue, but you're going to have a lot of good action in it. You're going to have a lot of good action, probably good one-liners. And, you know. We're going to have this uh, trailer in the show notes, so make sure you check it out and let us know what you think of Cowboys and Aliens. My wife will just be happy seeing another Harrison Ford movie. Obviously not. And you know, this actually looks like a good role for him a little bit. I mean, it's hard to tell from a trailer, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully it gives him a little bit of redemption than some of the acting roles he had recently. Right. Um, Moon Director's 10th trailer for his new sci-fi film, Source Code. And we watched his trailer as well. Duncan Jones' indie sci-fi movie, Moon, was one of the smartest films of 2009, and the trailer for his new project, Source Code, seems to prove, hey, we're a hopeful bunch here, that his success wasn't a fluke. The movie, which stars Jake Gyllenhaal... Uh, as a time travel on a mission to stop terrorists, looks like it might be a deja vu done right. Here's the film's official synopsis. When a decorated soldier, Captain Coulter Stevens, that's Jake, wakes up in a body of an unknown man, he discovers he's part of a mission to find the bomber of a Chicago commuter train. In an assignment unlike any he's ever known, he learns to be part of a government experiment called Source Code, a program that enables him to cross over into another man's identity in his last eight minutes of his life. With a second, much larger target threatening to kill millions downtown Chicago, Coulter relives the incident over and over again gathers clues each time until he can solve the mystery behind Mm who is behind the bombs and prevent the next attack. Um, Check out the trailer in the show notes and let us know what you think. We watched this trailer and we were actually pretty impressed.
2: Oh, I definitely... I'm a sucker for a good time travel story, so... um,
1: Yeah, and you know what? They're kind of busting a deja vu. I actually like deja vu. That's one I haven't seen yet. It's something I need to rent. Yeah, it's it's well worth watching, so... Mm. Uh, why don't you take us into our next story about Christian Bale? Well, uh, Bale says next Batman
2: will be his last. Um, Christian Bale says the upcoming Dark Knight Rises will be the last time he dons the cape and cowl as Batman. I believe unless Chris says different, this will be the last time I'm playing Batman, he tells a total film. As for ru- rumors of what who will be the adversary for Batman faces off in the next film, Bale says he he puts no stock in the rumors floating around. Until Chris tells me, I don't believe it, Bale says. It's got to be from his mouth or else I don't really know. Chris will let me know what I need to know when I need to know it. I probably know a little bit more than some of the people out there, but I think most people would be surprised at how little I do know. It just, doesn't, uh, it just doesn't, hasn't been necessary yet. I know he give me plenty of time to prepare for whatever I need to, and I'll discover it, he adds. He's a, he's a pretty good uh, filmmaker. I trust that he's going to come up with something wonderful.
1: Yeah, and after The Dark Knight, you kind of trust that he's going to do that too. The last two Batman films were phenomenal. Yeah, so. you know, you just and so you know, we just we hope the third one is just as good as those two, mm-hmm. if not, try to top it. It's going to be hard to top the Dark Knight.
2: But. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, if if, if this is going to be his last uh, uh, film, I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to hear that he's, he's thinking this will be his last one because I think he did a, a
1: really good job of the last two. As yeah, an actor, you have to move on, though. I guess a little bit. So. I, yeah, I guess that's true. So thanks for Slice of Sci Fi for giving us that piece of news here. Mm-hmm. One final piece of news before we go into this week in track. And that is um, we have a public service announcement about talking to your kids about Star Wars. And uh thanks to Hearn for submitting this idea. We watched a little bit of a little bit of this and it's just kind of this whole fun tongue-in-cheek type thing where you say, uh, you know, it's a public service announcement about talking to your kids. About Star Wars. It was funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like talking to your kids about sex. Type one of those types of things, right? But, yeah, exactly. But, but gearing it towards Star Wars. So mm-hmm. fun. We're going to embed that in the show notes. So make sure you take a chance to check it out. Miles, take us into the twist. All right. This week in Star Trek, uh, uh,
2: listeners, I just wanted to... Uh, Direct you to uh, Star Trek and to an interview with, that they did with uh, Alice Krieg. Uh, Alice Krieg played the uh, Borg Queen in, um, in Star Trek um, um, in Star Trek: uh, First Contact, and was also in uh, the Voyager series uh, finale, Endgame. Um, and she also provided her voice for the game uh, Star Trek Armada Two and Borg Invasion Four uh, D, shorter the Star Trek Experience attraction in Las Vegas. Uh, the the Borg Queen represents just one role in Krieg's long and varied career, but it's still a favorite to uh, Trek fans and and Krieg herself. Uh, Star Trek recently caught up with uh, the South African actress, who's been living mostly in London since her home in L. A. burned down uh, during the fires uh, there, for an exclusive two-part interview in which she talked about the Borg Queen and uh, uh, filled us in on her current acting and producing endeavors. So check out StarTrek.com dot com for that interview.
1: Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. She doesn't make an appearance in any of the series. It's just a movie then. That- uh, well, she, actually
2: she was in the, the series finale of Voyager, the, okay. the end game. So, so I haven't seen that yet. Okay, but I'll get there. Get there eventually. And um, uh, one more piece of Star Trek news: um, our, our friend Chris from Subspace Comms he attended a, uh, a a convention recently, and he got to talk with uh, Walter Koenig. Uh, best known for playing the original uh, uh, Chekhov in in, in Star Trek. And if you go to his site or or if you subscribe to it on iTunes, you can check out his podcast, Life After Trek. Uh, As he says, uh, we're pleased to announce the fourth episode of our podcast called Life After Trek featuring Walter uh, Koenig. Walter is a very our very first interview with an original series actor, and we're, we're super pleased to have him on the show. As you may, may know, we, we live-blog from the floor of uh, Austin Comic-Con, and that's where we record the interview with Walter. We would like to give a big thanks to uh, Wizard World for having a fantastic convention and giving us access to such a fantastic interview. If there's a uh, Wizard World Comic-Con anywhere near you, be sure to stop by. You won't be disappointed. This episode of Life After Trek is slightly shorter than our other episodes, but it definitely is not lightened content. Uh, Walter clued us in on his upcoming projects, such as his uh, recently released movie uh, Inalienable, uh, two upcoming uh, graphic novels, uh, Raver, and things to come, plus his new audio drama, Buck Alice and the actor Robot. Um, so, uh, so yeah, listeners, uh, check out his podcast. Yeah, make sure you subscribe to it. They have some bunch of good interviews with just you know good Star Trek actors, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, also uh, with Larry Larry Navicek, who
1: who's kind of behind the scenes uh, guy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Awesome. Well, before we go into our interview... Uh, we have one last pro we want to play, and it is from the Safe Haven Podcast. So check them out.
0: Check out the new geeks on the block at the Safe Haven Podcast, brought to you by the Southern Sci-Fi Society.
1: The Safe Haven Podcast is an informal roundtable where geeks from all walks of life come together to discuss everything from gaming,
0: podcasts, sci-fi fantasy, horror movies, television, web series, anime, and comics.
3: Each week, there'll be something different and something fun.
0: So check us out at Southern sci Society.net and get geeky and screw all y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and geeky, 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 geeky,
3: geeky,
0: geeky, <laughs> and get geeky. What was that?
1: in a moment here, we are going to be bringing you our interview with Larry Blumair. Miles, again, as we said, you weren't a part of his interview, but this is a guy that reminds me a little bit of Mystery Science Theater 3000, okay. but um, instead of people sitting there watching the show, he actually makes a movie that spoofs the 1950s genre movies. So the acting is a little bit overdone, the, 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 the dialogue is totally cliche. And it's totally fun. Cool. And so we're going to bring you our short interview. I don't know how short it is. We're going to bring you an interview with uh, Larry Blamer, where we talk about some of his projects and uh, what he's currently doing and what's up and coming for
4: Quiet day. I certainly hope someone needs a forest ranger here sometime. Hello.
0: I'm Dr. Roger Fleming, and I seem to have lost my way.
4: I'm Ranger Brad, and that's what I'm here for. You can call me Ranger Brad. Most folks do. Yes, Ranger Brad. Of course. I like that. Do You think you could tell me the way to Cadaver Cave... Cadaver Cave? Why do you want to go there? Ranger Brad, do I tell you
0: all your ranger business? <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, I guess not. Keep going on this trail about a mile. You can't miss it. Thank you, Ranger Brad. You've been very... helpful. Anytime. Oh, say... You don't believe those old legends about the lost skeleton of cadaver, do you?
0: <laughs> Ranger Brad, I'm a scientist. I don't believe in anything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice Filler. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. With us tonight, writer and director Blumeyer... Uh, perhaps known best for his spoof of his 1950s, his science fiction uh, spoof movies like The Lost Skeleton of Cadavera and The Lost Skeleton Returns Again, and a sequel, uh, which was a sequel to that, and The Dark Stormy Night, a stylistically authentic take of the old Dark House movies of the 30s. Yeah. Um, so welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner, Larry. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, I'm not going to try pronouncing that last name again. It'll be Larry from here on out. You know, I mean?
4: Larry.
1: Larry's good. Larry's, 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 Larry's all good. <laughs> well, welcome. This has been a, a long time in the making. I think we touched base in what, in August?
4: Yeah, something like that. And then there was a lot of... Um, there was life. Things that happened. We had a baby. You know, little things like
1: that. Yeah, you know, things that just... They don't... Not a huge impact in your life, right? <laughs> Nothing at all. Well, congratulations no. on that, by the way. Thank you very much. And it, it's a baby boy. Is that right? Yes, it is. Griffin. Wow. wow. You say Griffin? Griffin, yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Great. Well, that certainly has transformed your life a little bit. Just, just a little. Oh, bit. Oh, just a tiny bit. Like no. no sleep ever. Yeah, like nothing anymore. But that's great. Well, oh, um, great. congratulations. I we have. I have a three year old that's in napping right now, and an eight year old daughter that's in the other room. So,
0: cool.
1: yeah. So I, I, I'm well. I'm well aware. I might even get interrupted occasionally in our podcast. My <laughs> three year old will come in and just like. Hey, I want to be a part of this. But well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um about you, uh especially for listeners who may not be familiar with the work. Tell us a little bit maybe about your career.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um for listeners who aren't familiar with uh, my work or our work, uh the group that I work with, I pity you. I have a lot of pity for you and please please run out and look for the the Lost Skeleton of Kadabra. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, Essentially, that's—I mean—that's kind of the film that put uh, our, our little group on the map, and and uh, um, and then especially when Sony picked it up, uh, we had made it, um, you know, uh, in in 2000. Uh, really, we shot at the end of 2000, and um, uh, I was trying to think of um, a—I uh, a, wanted to make an independent movie, and and it occurred to me that because I grew up on 50s sci-fi, I just ate it up, especially the low-budget ones. I really enjoyed them. And uh, I thought that that would be a, a good thing to make on a real low budget since those movies were on a real low budget. So we decided to really make one uh, as, as close to authentic as possible with some liberties because it is a, it is a comedy, it is a spoof, you know, uh, but we tried to play it pretty straight. Um, over the years, we've developed quite a cult following and, and uh, it's done really well. And, you know, especially with Sony picking it up and released it on DVD in 2004, after a theatrical release. Um, followed that up with a film called Trail of the Screaming Forehead, which uh, ran on IFC recently, and there's uh, rumors of finally having that out on DVD very soon. Um, and uh, The Lost Ghost Returns Again was a sequel. You know, I said I'd never do a sequel, and then it just came to me. I had this idea, and it, it basically... This time, instead of, like, an all black and white, um, really bottom-of-the-barrel, uh, cheapo-type film, this is more of a jungle adventure, because I didn't want to just repeat what we had done before. So, um, Lost Skeleton Returns, again, is um, kind of an exotic jungle adventure with monsters. It's still a low-budget-type film, but it has a little bit more of a money look to it, and there's some, you know, the the, F, the FX are better, and uh, um, this... The, shortly after we shot that, we shot Dark and Stormy Night, which is a totally different thing for us, although it's still a spoof of an old film. But this time it's a, a 1930s old dark house movie, you know, your basic murder mystery with sliding panels and, and a storm and a reading of the will and a phantom on the loose and murders and stuff. We had a great cast and a and, uh, uh, great time. And, and, and both of those films uh, came out this year. Courtesy of Shout Factory, which is a great company, and they're out on DVD and uh, doing very well. And um, we are right now—we're on the verge of uh, closing a deal uh, for a UK release of four of our movies, so um, uh, UK fans will will uh, get to uh, get a little more access to our films. But that's in a nutshell. That's we have kind of branded this particular sort of um, uh, sci-fi, fantasy, horror type spoof genre. Uh, we've kind of, you know, uh, picked that, um, that, that cubby hole and we're, uh, we're having fun in it.
1: Right. Right. Well, very, very cool. Well, you mentioned that you kind of grew up in the fifties, uh, like the, the old B movies. It was, or, do you have one in particular that stands out as being one that really captured your attention that you just absolutely loved? Well, as, you
4: know, my, the one I always pick is the Attack, Attack of the Crab Monsters. I, I think my fans are sick of hearing about it.
0: <laughs> you know, that's
4: and Shout Factory actually, funny enough, is putting that out on DVD. Uh, they they've got a, a deal with a bunch of Corman movies, and that's a great Roger Corman film. And these things used to run on. Uh, I grew up in Boston, and they would run on. Um, you know, the local channels would show uh, all these movies like that. Uh, Fiend with Fiend without a Face, Invaders from Mars, the original one. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the thing. Right. Um, these things would play and play and uh, and right there, you know, just the ones I named. There's a range there from some really cheap ones like Attack of the Crab Monsters, which which you know cost pretty little, uh, and and it were right up to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is a um, you know a whole, a whole different ballgame. So there was such a range in the 50s. Right. But I love them all. I, I like them all in different
1: ways. You know. Was that your introduction into science fiction, or did you have another introduction prior to that?
4: Well, you know, um, I was I was also grabbing uh, DC Comics off the stands, reading um, uh, as a kid. You know, Superman and Batman and stuff like that, and Justice League and the Flash, and uh, uh, there was there was a sci fi element there certainly. But I would say with television, you know, between shows like The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits, and those. Um, fifties movies. I think that was pretty much my intro to, uh, that to sci- was,
1: that was your indoctrination right yeah. <laughs> into the genre. Absolutely. But- I, I just soaked it up and, and
4: it was great. All the kids did, you know, I, I wish kids had that kind of an outlet today, um, uh, where they could enjoy sci-fi and horror. Cause I find that they're kind of excluded from a lot of it because a lot of it's basically rated R. Um, and I, one thing i've I, I've been happy about with our movies is that they they have a, a big kid following um, uh, the kids really enjoy it of all, all ages which is which is great
1: now um, you mentioned the company that you're uh, working with do you want to tell us a little bit about the company that you kind of have alluded to here as you've been talking that maybe yes yeah. go ahead
4: yeah um, we have a great group of people um essentially the folks that were involved in Lost scale and the cadabra. Uh, particularly the acting company um, uh, our little you know company of players which is just a, a great uh, a bunch of people um, and, you know we're like a family and, and um, editor uh, Bill Russell um, who's been with me on all my films and um, you know we've uh, kind of let the company grow over the years and we've added actors to it to the company particularly with like Dark and Stormy Night you know um, and we started working with older character actors too, which was fun on Trail of the Screaming Forehead, which, um, you know, we had folks like, H.M. Uh, Winant and, uh, uh, Dick Miller and, and the late Kevin McCarthy and, uh, Betty Garrett, um, and, 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 uh, it was great fun having these folks on board. Jimmy Caron, uh, Jim Beaver from Supernatural was in Dark and Stormy Night,
1: um, and, I saw, and James was in, uh, wasn't he? In the latest Superman movie, the incarnation of that.
4: Uh, you know, I I am embarrassed to say I not I didn't see it. Okay, but, uh,
1: no. <laughs> no, that's no, fine. So yes, he
4: was. That's right. Yeah. But I haven't
1: seen it yet. But he was. Yes. Right, right. So wow, yeah. You, so I, I noticed you. You are kind of getting some some notables in here that are actually a part of this company as well, which is kind of cool. Oh, we definitely
4: do, and um, uh, we have a lot of folks who, who will, uh, you know, work on 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 some big films um, uh, and, and then come and work with us for uh, I, 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 I have to admit a lot less money than they're getting on the oh, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah absolutely um, and we've got uh, uh, some of our company um, goes back to our days in Boston when we were doing uh, Boston Theater um, Brian Howe and uh, Susan McConnell and, and, and uh, Bob DeVoe uh, Allison Martin. Uh, these are folks who were um, uh, we were working together back in Boston on different projects, and and we've known each other for a long time. So um, it's really fun. It, it, there's nothing better than working with your friends, and also writing parts for your friends. That is uh, an awful lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Well, now uh, you started out as an actor, right? I mean, I was looking at your itinerary or your your, your background in
4: theater. Yeah, actor. I did. Yeah. Uh, although I actually I, I went to art school, so I actually started. Um, out as a, a sci fi illustrator um and then got into acting after that. Right,
1: right. Well I saw I saw that you went to what, the Art Institute of Boston or something like that? Yes I yep. Yeah, but had, uh, my wife used to be a, a high school representative for the Art Institute. So I was uh, I was like, Ooh, hey I'm familiar with that company.
4: Oh really? Is she is she still there?
1: <laughs> she is not. She actually is now heading a non profit for Haiti so Oh, okay. So she she moved on from it, but uh, she did yeah, that for yeah. about three or four years, and had a lot of respect for the art institute. But well, you 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 mentioned that um, you you began writing and getting into acting and stuff like that. Uh, one of our listeners asked, "What was the very first story that you remember writing?"
4: The first story I remember writing was when we were um, studying Edgar Allan Poe in high school, and I think it might actually it might have been junior high. And I wrote this story. Uh, we were supposed to write a story that was um, sort of like Poe, um, and, and, and where you're keeping your your plot on a single track, developing a single purpose. And and um, and, and th- there was such a challenge in writing a short story. And I, anyway, I remember that, that I wrote this this little Edgar Allan Poe type knockoff. Uh, had to do with a chandelier and a, and. Uh, in a rather creepy house, and uh, it doesn't exist anymore. I don't, I don't have it. I just vaguely remember it. And, uh, <laughs> but that was my first. But then I remember writing. Um, uh, I remember, no, that was. I think it was that story actually. That, um, the teacher, uh, in, in my English teacher, liked it so much that uh, that he, he read it to the class. So that was that was kind of encouraging. Although. It was a long time, like many years, before I got back to writing any kind of prose. And recently, I put out a, a book of short stories, Western horror stories,
1: and um, it, 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 you know, uh, it, there was a long gap in between there. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome that I still had that impact. I mean, you remember it now, all these years.
4: So. Oh yeah. So. I mean, this is. The, 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 I just remember, you know, getting that kind of encouragement from a teacher was uh, was phenomenal. I mean, that's the best. Kind
1: of teacher, right there. Right, right there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, now, um, let's get back to your movies just a little bit. Uh, probably one of the the, the the one spoof that's probably gained the most notoriety has been the Lost Skeleton of Cadavera. How did this film come about? Uh, if you can tell our listeners maybe just a little bit. I know you probably told the story before, but for our listeners who may not be aware, how did this story come to fruition? What gave you the idea, the background well, for it?
4: Well, it, it, I knew that. Um, with uh, having the access to digital video, because at the time, you know, in, you know, around 2000, it was that was still a fairly new thing. Suddenly, there was access to um, to sh- you know shooting a movie for uh, a, a fairly cheap amount, and I had just because I had had uh, I had these films ingrained, you know, these sci-fi and horror movies of the 50s. Um, it just seemed like the kind of thing that we could do, have a lot of fun doing it and do a fairly convincing job of it. And because it's supposed to look low budget, that works for our budget because we really did have a low budget. I mean right. we had $60,000 or you know, it was forty to start and then I think another $20,000. Um, but I took some elements from a play that I had written in the 80s called Bride of the Mutant's Tomb and um, – Just a few of them. There's no skeleton in that at all, but there were some, there was an alien couple in that that I bar, I borrowed them and they were inspired by Ed Wood's Plan 9 from Outer Space. Uh, the couple in that movie was Arrow Santana and they definitely inspired, uh, Crowbar and Lattice who were in the, uh, the skeleton movies. So I took that element and, um, um, a couple of other things, certain, you know, dialogue elements and that sort of awkward Ed Wood speak. That uh, that we love so much in his movies, and um, I spoofed that basically. Uh, but the plot itself ended up being a meeting of—it's uh, literally a sci-fi horror movie because most of the movies, most of the '50s sci-fi movies, well, a lot of them anyway, were sci-fi horror movies, Um or we could call them monster movies. And and what happened in *Lost Golden Cadaver* is we ended up with. Um, just the way the script just sort of developed was you've got um, a sci-fi monster, this this mutant that these aliens bring to Earth, and you've got the skeleton himself who's a horror element, a horror monster, and they have a duel at the end. So it's like a
1: duel of sci-fi and horror, um, which, which is kind of fun. Right, right. Well, you know what I was watching? I did, I watched the Lars Skeleton and that, um, and those two aliens are just hilarious the way you, uh, and you, and you do, you capture that 50s element just in the way they speak and how stilted it is. But, um, it ends up being so, it it ends up being funny now coming at it from, you know, here we are in 2010 and it's, you know, what 50, 60 years after that. It's those movies themselves by themselves end up being kind of hilarious. But when you spoof them yet, they just take it to another level.
4: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah and, and I, I got to credit uh, Andy Parks and um, and Susan McConnell uh, had they had their work cut out for them wrapping themselves around that dialogue because it's right. it's and um, my act, you know actors will joke a lot about the dialogue being kind of um, it's a little hard to remember because there's a lot of repetition in it. Through right. Repetition and and that element is important, I think, in in uh, echoing these films, especially. You know, awkward exposition, which you find a lot in in low budget sci fi movies, and, and um, but Andy has has really nailed those two characters, and they're they're definitely fan favorites.
1: Yeah, I mean, what's in, what's neat is that you're you're not. I mean, you're trying to be low budget. Like they back in the fifties, they had to be low budget. You know, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah uh, and I think that's probably uh that allows you a little bit more play. Yeah, it
4: does. I mean, there there were some uh, that weren't. Uh, so low budget like them um, and uh, right. the, the studio pictures, actually, you know, the universal ones, for instance, um, this island earth and that kind of thing. And uh, they had more budget to play with. There was quite a range in the, in the 50s, really. But uh, but but we were focusing more on the uh, the fairly uh, the fairly cheap ones.
1: Yeah. One of our listeners uh, – well, another one of our listeners, B. Harden, asked if you ever made a story where we find out what the lost skeleton was like before he became a skeleton or just a okay. skeleton.
4: <laughs> We've had a lot of people
1: requesting a prequel.
4: <laughs> or I wrote a blog once about you know these ridiculous ideas, where it came from. Mike Schlesinger, who's the, who's the guy at Sony who picked up lost skeleton and is now working with us, is one of our producers. Um, he's convinced that it's, um, uh, from lost horizon, the remake in the seventies. Uh, okay. Someone, <laughs> I think it's an Olivia Hussey. Di- I haven't seen it, but I think Olivia Hussey dies in the cave. I don't know. And so he's saying that's, that's her skeleton. Um, obviously I, I think, I think it, it ruins the mystique. I, 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 would, um, uh, I'll continue to make up answers to that, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't think
1: I don't know. All right. But there's, there's no prequel in the works. At this
4: point no there isn't however <laughs> uh you know I never I said I'd never do a, a sequel. I don't like sequels usually but lost skeleton returns again just seemed like too good an idea and too much fun to pass up now after saying yet again that we're done with the skeleton saga we have a third movie that we're we're planning so Ooh. um yes once again the uh, the skeleton will uh, will, will, will rise uh, <laughs>
0: we'll
4: so rise again <laughs> Not, and I won't say too much about that right now, but we are um, we are planning one, and it will you know at
1: some point happen. So very good. Well, he, he also asked uh, what the inspiration was for Animalla.
4: Um, you know, Animalla um, physically she sort of resembles the uh, the women in cat women of the moon. Um, she has that sort of um, that sort of kinky 50s sci-fi beatnik kind of look um and so there wasn't any one inspiration for her uh and the the thing that you know is crazy to me is that i didn't think of my wife in the first place um and and uh because now looking back certainly jennifer seems like a uh you know it was a no brainer to have her playing anamala and and she's another just like crowbar and lattice she has quite a, uh, uh, you know, a following among
1: the fans, which is understandable. Right. Well, I like that one quote that Anamala has, where she's talking about the Amish terrarium. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's and it's funny, it's, you know, we're, we're at, I'm actually from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which is, of course, this Amish hotbed, right? <laughs> you know, there, but, but there's that one line that, that I thought was kind of classic, and, and there's actually telling maybe one of the, i uh, have the most poignant moments of of the uh, of the uh, movie where he says, "Of course, Betty, it's absurd. Putting Amish in glass cases would be inhumane." <laughs> but there's a meta- but there's a metaphor that we kind of do that. You know, that's
4: funny. Well, uh, that's, that's certainly more than I intended.
1: Nah. <laughs> but, but you know, we do, we kind of set them up on a pedestal and we look at them and say, Oh, look, it's the Amish, but you know, they're as human as the rest of us.
4: It, it's funny because, you know, I like, I mean, I like wordplay and in all of my films, there's a, there's a, a there's a, a lot of wordplay and, and, um, and, and pointing up the absurdity of, 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 word imagery and stuff. And, and that's where just Amish Terrarium came from. It just basically, it sounded like, what she was you know what, what they were supposed to be saying and um it, it just seemed like something the way she would she would mess it up you know right um right. and uh, so it was, it was for pure absurdity but I, I like the fact that it actually has
1: some some resonance of some sort <laughs> <laughs> whether it's intended or not but exactly um well i'll it, take credit for it yeah sure so, <laughs> um you know we, Reese, uh, The Kingdom Falling is a recent addition to sci-fi and is hailed as being one of the uh, current steampunk uh, things. And you are also delving a little bit into what's called steampunk. Tell us a little bit about Steam Wars.
4: Yeah, Steam Wars. Actually, I should mention that um, there's a beautiful new coffee table um, sci-fi art book. It's called Sci-Fi Art Now, published out of the UK, uh, edited by John Freeman, and um, it collects together a lot of the contemporary um, sci-fi art that's happening right now, paintings and digital. And uh, three of my Steam Wars paintings are included in there. So I'm very excited about that. And it, it's a it's a beautiful book. Um, uh, it, the Steam Wars project is one that goes back a long time for me. And um it's, it's sort of an ongoing thing because it's, it's a big thing and, and so I keep working a little at a time on it while I'm doing other things. Uh, but you know, it's kind of a dream project because it's a, um, it's a Victorian sci-fi epic, uh, that features a, a unique kind of warfare, uh, that, and, and it's, that's the, that's the sole conceit of the piece really is that warfare is fought from these, these giant, um, uh, armored warriors, you know, from anywhere from, Twelve feet high up to 160 feet high, uh, and it's it's very specific and it's nuts and bolts kind of day to day operation of, of a steam rig as they're called. Uh, I call it blue collar sci-fi because it's very low tech and it's very gritty and nothing is easy. It's very difficult to run one of these things, and it's and and this is the way war is fought. Um com is, is the easiest way to. Explain it because it's it's such a visual thing. You go there, and there's a ton of my paintings and drawings and stuff up there. Um, and recently, I, I finished uh, the screenplay for that, so we're starting to get that project out there. And uh, that's that's a big one, though. That's a that's a big one.
1: You know, and uh, and so the goal is to bring this to a movie movie audience, right? Absolutely,
4: I've <laughs> always seen it as a movie, and uh, I started doing these paintings years ago. I had the the last issue of Galaxy Magazine has a Steam Wars cover, essentially. One of my my first paintings is on that cover, and uh, and that was back in 1980 when I had you know just just gotten into illustration. Um, so yeah, it's been a long time coming, but that's okay. I mean, I'm patient. I want it's going to happen. It's going to happen, right?
1: Oh yeah, well, well I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm always fascinated with that whole idea of everything running in steam and that whole. Uh, it's very cool. Very cool. Very cool it's, genre. It, it,
4: it's kind of fun. It's kind of refreshing too because. Um, you know, I enjoy some sci-fi. Uh, I, I enjoy it a lot, but, um, but but I think it's kind of fun to go backwards and, and, and simplify things and, and, you know, just get, you know,
1: things a little less complex and, uh, and you know, there's nothing simpler than steam engines. Right. Definitely not. Well, two questions here before we wrap up. One, you know, so what's it other than being a father, which is a huge commitment and you have another, you have a third, uh, skeleton movie coming out eventually and steam wars. Yeah. That's, that's
4: its story form right now. Right. And uh, the story's all laid out very specifically and we'll, uh, you know, be developing that over the next, uh, over the next year. So what else is on the horizon? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Let's see. I've just uh, I've just gotten back into painting again, which is something that I miss doing. Um, when I don't do sci-fi illustration, I I, I, I enjoy uh, surrealism, and um, and you know, really, they're kind of related. I mean, a lot of sci-fi art is is quite surrealistic. I think, uh, but I've been so I've been painting um, also some more short stories for another collection. Um, which would be more tales from the Calabo Mountains, more of my Western horror stories. Um, plus, we have other projects out there uh, that are not in the sci fi horror category or even in the spoof category. Uh, I've got a, an absurdist comedy called The Restroom, um, a, a mockumentary called TV Life. So, there's a number of um, projects that, that uh, we want to get done. We want to branch out a little bit and not just get cornered in one area as much as we love doing them, you know.
1: Right. So where can people find out more about uh, what you're doing and about your company or buy stuff that can even support your company?
4: Oh, well, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, the best way to um, keep in touch with what we're doing, well, besides, if you you know, my, my Facebook fan page is a good way. It's simply Larry Lamar But um, bantamstreet.com is a good way to uh, keep up with what we're doing. I'm also on Twitter, too, under my name. Uh, but Bantam Street, that's B-A-N-T-A-M Street spelled out, BantamStreet.com. And uh, that's a good way to keep, keep up with, um, with what we're doing. And as far as getting our um, uh, DVDs, the two new ones from Shout Factory, if you order from their website, ShoutFactory.com, you get a free disc of our Tales from the Pub shorts. Uh, it's a series of shorts that we did Uh, they're kind of like mini Twilight Zone spoofs and they're on they're actually on YouTube and they've been on YouTube but fans have been wanting them on disc so it's kind of nice to have them on disc and um, our other films Lost Skeleton and Cadaver you can get on Amazon or other you know um, other outlets Uh, that's pretty much all over the net and um, Trail the Screaming Forehead not yet but hopefully will be available soon um and uh, they, and I also actually I have a, a a comedy called Johnny Slade's Greatest Hits, which actually is called Meet the Mobsters now, and that's a totally different thing. It's a uh, it's a mafia dark comedy, and that's available, I believe, on Amazon also. So that's it's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, that one, and that that one had some of the Sopranos in it, right?
4: Yes, it did. I, yeah, that was fun working with um, some of the Sopranos guys. It was a lot of fun. It was a total departure for me. That was my second film, and. Um, it was a lot of fun. It's it, it's it's something of a dark comedy, right. and I got to write a lot of songs.
1: Oh, Very cool, very cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the Sci-Fi Diner and talking about your work and letting our, letting our listeners know a little bit about you.
4: My pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me.
1: All right, I appreciate it. I'll let you know when this episode goes live. Yeah, let me know if I can it,
4: uh, tell the fans.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. It'll, it might be a week or two, but we'll get there. Cool. All right. Hey, thank you so much, man. All right. Thank you, Scott. All right. Take Bye. care.
0: Shiny, shiny, shiny little rocks. Shiny, shiny thoughts. Shiny rocks and thoughts. La 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 la. Shiny, shiny rocks. La la me me me. <laughs>
1: Well, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Larry Blamer. I'm gonna, I probably can't, I'm probably saying his name wrong, Blamer. But, anyways, uh, Larry Blamer, and uh, we got to get out of here, Miles. But before we do, we have our sci-fi five and five. We do, and. Um, you know, just an invitation again. Any of listeners out there that want to give us your sci-fi five and five, email them to us. And it could be the top five things, the worst five things in science fiction. It could be from guns, robots, ships to movies, um, you know, little niche things that you want to talk about. You send them to us at, by email, sci-fi.podcast.com, at, at gmail.com, or dot com 508 4343 And call and let us know or send an MP3 if you're from over the pond. But – Tell us about our sci fi five and five tonight. Well, we're keeping up with, um, you know,
2: paying uh, homage to the director of uh, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. And so we came up with uh, our own uh, uh, five and five, uh, t- five, five great moments
1: in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Right. And these are not in any particular order. These are all great moments. Mm-hmm. Great moments. Uh, so why don't I do the ones that, that I put there and. You do. The, I'll do the first three. You do the last two. Does that work for you, Miles? That's fine. Okay. So here, here's here's the first three. One of my favorite moments in the movies, Miles, is when the Adats come out of the fog toward the rebels. Like you hear the sound of them pounding, and suddenly you see their shape kind of lumbering out of the fog, and it's like, it's like, holy crap, they you, are doomed. And you see that in the in the rebel forces' faces when it happens. Oh, I know. It's like it's like. Hey, it's just, it's just insane. So that's one of my. That's probably that's probably the most favorite moment for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, another moment is when they freeze Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Um, what a scene when they do that and that whole undying love thing to Leia. That's kind of conveyed there before they really know they're in love.
2: Right, and you know you just w- when they bring him out, it's just like there's no there's no way at the time. You just think there's no way we get they, they can save Han. You just, it's the end. Yeah.
1: it's the end for Han. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my last one, my third one, is Luke Skywalker in the Darth Vader battle. That last scene in the Revelation is pro- its just a powerful scene.
2: Right. That's when they really amped up the whole lightsaber battle scene between, you know. I mean, we, we saw them really, you know, amped up in, in the new movies. But um, I, th- I
1: thought the one between Luke and, and Darth Vader was still good. Well, it's, it's such a shocking statement. It's the first time that we know as an audience that Luke is the son of Vader. Right. We don't know that at mm-hmm. that point, so it's kind of cool. Well, and what are the two that you had out I, of this list? I thought a
2: great a great scene was when the rebels escape from Bespin. Um, um, Chewbacca, Leia, and uh, Lando joins them to help them uh, escape from Bespin. I thought that was a great uh, great shoot 'em up scene there. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. That is a good scene. And last one, uh, the the whole uh, when, when Luke lands on Dagobah and. Uh, Yoda trains uh, Dagobah, Luke, Luke Force. I mean, uh, some of it's humorous, but some of it's quite serious and dark. And uh, now, is this the one where he faces
1: uh, Vader in yes. the cave? Right. And that's not in the. Yeah, it is. It is, and uh, kind of a telling foreshadowing of the end. Huh. Right. And you know, when he cuts off Vader's head, it ends up being his own. Right. Well, it I just, love this. I love that scene. That entire train scene. Some of it's humorous, as you said, but mm-hmm. really kind of reveals what goes into the force a little bit
2: and just to say something about, about uh, i mean they, they use puppetry for the whole yoda character and and i don't know if it holds up well now but i mean i just remember as a kid i, I, I bought it and uh oh yeah i thought yoda was a great character in the empire strikes back
1: and he still is still is a great character mm-hmm. but it's uh, they obviously animate him a bit differently this time right good old frank oz Offer. I'm glad they kept Frank Oz. Right? Oh, yeah. I'm glad they used them. They used them all six movies, right? Yeah. I believe that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for tuning into the Sci-Fi Diner podcast tonight. And uh, we hope you enjoyed our show. If you want to comment on anything, any of the news items that we talked about or anything in the interview that you want to share, go ahead and give us a call at 1-888-508-4343. Email us at gmail at gmail.com. And I don't think I got a heck of a lot else to say except – if you want to tell us what's on your sci-fi Christmas list make sure you let us know that as well
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and that's it Miles alright well until next time good night and good luck we'll see ya
3: what do you mean Art that noise is singing you silly bucket what me teach you how to sing well, I don't know if I can or do You see, it's rather complicated. But perhaps I can explain music if I try to sing you the explanation. You see, there's a kind of sound you won't find in your mem. Recall, when you add a note to one, you sounded just before, and another one after that, and then another three or more, and suddenly you are singing notes galore. Oh no, Arthur, it's more There's a kind of feeling when you sing a melody And another person sings along in harmony It's the loveliest thing that you can do to make your voice sound grand These difficult things are the things you never will understand
0: If you could only give it a try and see
3: That's a good start, but try putting the notes where they belong. Again. Good, that's much better. But never give up till you know that you're singing a perfect song. We know that you can
0: do it, and you can do it too. Your every friend is meet has a great you.
3: Know how to love? Could you teach him how to do it with a photograph or a diagram of the human brain or some such silly scheme? Never tickle his funny bone and watch him scream. <laughs> well, the same is true of music, as I think you see. It's a little more than someone saying "Do rain me." It's a little like jumping out in space with no firm ground below it the best that you have maybe be up and away you'll go The time is
0: now, we're showing you how it's over to you Your voice will pop like a tablet, Let's all sing together, Artu Come take that chance, that musical dance, that time for review
3: And with those notes you're bringing us, we all will be singing with you Now you try it, Artu Oh, Artu, I knew you could do it I knew it again Wonderful. Now get your circuits together. Are you ready? Take a solo. Oh, Arthur! You've done it! Arthur, the Quaver converter isn't complete yet. It isn't finished. Lock in your circuits again quickly.
1: Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. If you want to find out more about the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast please visit scifidinerpodcast.com where you can find show news, pictures, videos, and many other things about the Sci-Fi Diner. You can also find the Sci-Fi Diner where else, Miles?
2: We have a Facebook fan page, and uh, we have very active discussion going on there between uh, Scott and myself and you, the listeners. So I encourage you, please uh, join our Facebook fan page, and let's talk some sci-fi.
1: You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash sci-fi diner. You can find me on Twitter. That's herzog, uh, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G
2: and I am uh, Son of Worf uh, at Twitter, and I also am uh, on uh, Trek Space, uh, Son of Worf
1: at Trek Space. And we, we want to hear from you, so please email us at the sci fi diner podcast at gmail.com or call our listener line at 1 888 508 4343 and let us know your thoughts of what you're watching, what you like, what you don't like. We want to hear from you.